Welcome back to the Always Aggressive Podcast. Corey Fontana lifts it. Head coach Tony Ursland, uh, week two of the season. And, well, we're a long ways from the season. Yeah, it feels like we're a long ways from the season. <laughs> we left you last week um, with a tease that we might have a Big Ten schedule to look at today. We don't. So, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, we'll bring it to you as soon as we do. What's that, Tony? It was just a tease, man. That's exactly what it, it was a tease, and it didn't come through. But the Big Ten, I'm going to throw this one on the Big Ten. We were we were hopeful. My uh, my eyes got bigger than my stomach, maybe, and, and hoping and dreaming. But uh, you know, maybe next week, boys. Maybe next week. I I know they've got a maybe. lot that they are juggling up in Rosemont right now. So yeah, power's outside our control, unfortunately. One thing we can guarantee: we will have a Big Ten schedule at some point. Yes. We're going to wrestle a handful of duels, and then there will be a championships. Where are the championships next spring? Maryland. Yeah, we're going to Maryland before we go to Kansas City. There we go. In the year. All right. All right. So that's all we can tell you for certain today is that we're going to wrestle some duels against some Big Ten teams in January and February. Eight of them. Eight of them. And then – and then we'll go to Maryland for Big Ten championships, and we'll give you more details as they come available. Um, guys, I know uh, we we touched on a lot last week in last week's episode. One thing we didn't talk a ton about was uh, fall practice, how things have been going in the room uh, uh, recently. I, first of all, what are the rules on contact right now? How much can you have? When's the official uh, start? <laughs> he wants to talk about rules. That's, rules. that's pretty funny. Rules, you say. Uh, you know, it, so it's interesting. We're, we we just came out of what I call planned fatigue, you know, where it's a it's a two week period where it's it's pretty extensive in terms of conditioning and just um, a shared suffering experience with your team. Right. Like doing hard things together, yeah. kind of creating that bonding and the mentality that you want. And so we had two weeks of planned fatigue where it was a lot of two a days, you know, morning and night around class schedules and, and things like that. And so that was our conditioning and, and, and our lifting and things like that. We still get our fair share of, of skill work in, but those are always more like RTC workouts, which gives us the flexibility. When you talk about rules, you know, um, the, the regional training center kind of gives you flexibility that other sports don't enjoy. So but between the, the really hard things we did together as a team to create the mindset and, and kind of that gritty toughness that you're looking for, you know, we had a lot of good RTC workouts with a lot of good people in that room, I, I would say. I've been really happy with the depth of the room. And I don't just mean our, our college guys, right? When you have that, re- that regional training center stuff, you get other opportunities. So just a lot of good stuff there from, from training um, from the team the last two weeks. Corey, I want you to think of some of these reality shows that they do now where they take the celebrities and they put them through like military boot camp. Yeah. Like that's what it would be like for us. Like it, 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 to me, it looks like pure torture. Um, You know, never wrestled, never, you know, as the guys like to say, I was a soft basketball player. Right. Yeah. um, Pumpkin pusher. But it's diabolical what what these kids do for the last two weeks. It's wild. That's good. Yep. You know, and and then we've still got time to bounce, right? I know that we were just talking today. I met with, uh, you know, uh, Coach Pallara here from Strength and Conditioning. And, you know, we're, we're, we got different metrics that we're always looking at, right? That kind of measure where the guys are at from a strength Mm -hmm. and power 
perspective and even soreness. And, and the team is really starting to bounce. Like they're on their way up. You know, if you look at where they were physically, you know, you know, kind of worn down a little bit, beat up, maybe, you know, um, they've had the last few days where they've just been lifting. We've kept them off the mat except for individual drills. And so you really see them starting to kind of bounce, you know, feel better, you know, get, get their energy back. And then and, and we'll, we'll certainly be back on the mat here soon. Um, but it's been a nice week to kind of, I call it a deload week. So you go really hard for a couple weeks and now this week's a little bit lighter. You let your body recover and you get ready for the next push. So you talk about, you use the words plan fatigue and uh, all I can think of is you're getting these guys ready for fatherhood because that's <laughs> yeah. the first couple of years are is just plan fatigue. You know, and, and so I'm going to give a shout out here too, because you are hundred percent right. Get ready. I, that's how it was for me as well. Fatherhood having twin boys. I will give a shout out to uh, Max and Emma Lyon who just had, had their, their son. So I just want, yes, exactly. Give a shout out to Max and Emma and a congrats to them. One of our own who has expanded his own family. So he's not enjoying sleep to your point right now, Corey. If he's ready for it though. That's right. He's ready for it. He's just not going to get it probably. Right. Um, I love the physiology uh, of, of it all. You know, it's, we work with, I work with a lot of different sports. So, you know, the, the whole, the concept of training cycles and building in your tapers so that you can, you know, perform at your peak at the right moment and trying to figure that out. And it's a constant process. It's a year long thing. Um, you know, you see it in swimming and diving, you see it in track and field, you see it in wrestling. Um, I had a conversation with Brian Kerrigan for a podcast for another another podcast and he said in that you know that, that his world changed when he realized it's a year-round thing it's not an in-season thing yep. uh, uh, nutrition and health and physical fitness and all of that is something that if you pay attention to 12 months a year it's a lot easier than if you just do it come training camp uh how much does it take for you guys to buy into that type of an approach i mean i wish i could just give you a a, a quick and you know quick and easy answer i mean it's different for everyone right yeah. i mean you know they're all individuals with their own uh, experiences and beliefs and sometimes you know to to get a young man to buy in you got to kind of break some of his old habits or old beliefs and that can be tough on some people but i think what we try to do is we try to be very consistent uh, in what we do so it's there in front of them all the time and then also, um, you know, you, you want to give kids opportunities to see why we're doing what we do. You know, there's, there's always a why behind it, but then also showing them like metrics, you know, to create belief. You know, when you lift and you get stronger, right, you see the bar, the weight on the bar going up and going up and, and that fuels belief. Same thing in terms of, you know, we're going to measure your, your, your vertical. We're going to measure your, your, your power through with a push plate. You know, there's different metrics that you can use these days, right? When you talk about sports science and how you can use that, that's how you kind of create belief. There's tangible things that kids can use and see progress. And that's a big deal. And I think that combined with the consistency is what's key. And that, you know, I think of that like nutrition, like Elaine is in front of our guys all the time, weekly, and then even doing individual meetings. So I think that's what gets your buy-in, although it can be different again for everybody. And I think it's also interesting, you know, Corey, you bring up a guy like Ryan, who's, you know, was a professional athlete at the highest level for, you know, a decade. 
Um, and he's talking about that now, as opposed to I wonder, I wonder where he was at eighteen to twenty-two. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he was still, you know, destroying people on the on the football field. But um, he'll flat out tell you he was fat. He knows it. He looks back at pictures. He's like, God, I look so fat in that thing. It's like, well, okay, <laughs> all American. You bet. You were fat. Yeah. You're right. Right. Should look like an Adonis. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But it's uh, there's think, levels, right? And and so that bring that that when you mention that specific thing, right? That brings up something to me is, you know, everybody's starting in different places. You know what I mean? And so it's not where you start; it's where you end. Yep. Um, but it comes down to habits, and that's that's the only way I look at this is it, it comes down to creating habits because that's what lasts. I mean, if we're honest we would wish that every day we would make, wake up and our motivation was a 10, right? Like if one's the worst and 10's the highest, every day you want to wake up at a 10, like I'm so pumped to get better, but that's not reality. There's the, you're going to wake up and you're going to be hurting or you're going to be running on low sleep or you know, whatever. And so motivation can go down. And so what, how do you get better when motivation is lower? It's your habits. I'm in a habit of eating the right things, going to bed at the right time. No, I'm in the not. habit of I'm going to get my run in before I go to class Used and to then be. I'm going to eat right. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to, and I'm going to get my, my wrestling workout in, right? Like those habits is what lasts those tough days when motivation maybe isn't, isn't your at a 10, I guess. Yeah. Corey, he threw me for a huge loop there talking in the first person about the things that he's doing. And then like midway through, I realized he was like projecting that first person onto the student athletes. So that was like, you know, he's talking about right. running in the morning. I was yeah. like, no, stop, Ursula. You don't have these habits. Just not well, if we're up at 6 a.m. running, I probably got a whistle in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm probably, I'm probably blowing the, let's be honest, I'm blowing the whistle. With a Starbucks yeah. in one hand. Yeah, with a, right. With, with a, you're right, with a Starbucks in one hand. That's how I start my day. So, uh, yeah, but truly, I just, you try to create habits. And the only way you do that is consistency in your message and consistency in, in how you do things every day. And then that gets ingrained and kids can that you it's fun to really see them take off because they, they've got the right habits. They see how it affects them. And then you get buy in, you know, and, and I'll, I'll give you a funny example. I think of a guy like Parker Phileas. He had to be so disciplined to make weight like he was he ate clean. Even out of the season, 12 months a year, he couldn't eat bad because he'd get he'd get huge and then that cut would be really hard. It'd be harder than it than it needed to be. And it was funny. He graduates this year and you know, he decides, hey, I'm gonna let myself off the leash and I'm gonna eat whatever I want to eat. And I see him like five days later and he was like, Oh, I just treated my body like a garbage can. And I, I feel so bad. Like you get to a point now you realize I feel terrible when I don't eat clean. Right. He, he got the right habits and now he's, he's, there's a reminder, like, I got to eat cleaner. I'm going to feel terrible. So you know, those, those kinds of things are what you want. Yeah. Doesn't it make you Corey, doesn't it make you wonder what, you know, how good we would feel if we, if we ate clean? Yeah. I, I treat my body like a garbage can most of the time. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I totally understand. I don't imagine what it would, I can't imagine what it would feel like to eat clean. Yeah. It's crazy. There you go. <laughs> um, well, I tell you what, uh, a group of guys – here's a transition. A group of guys that have phenomenal habits are uh, those competing for world championships. Yeah. Uh, and, boy, did they show out. 
it, it, at the most recent uh, most recent event. I know we want to get into that a little bit, uh, get away from campus here a little bit. Uh, you know, Tony, you've got a, a personal connection on that team with with coaching staff, and, and yeah. I'll let you, let you run with it here. Yeah, no, I was fortunate to be on the same team with with Bill Zadick there for a couple of years. He's a couple of years ahead of me, but uh, a big congrats to him and that entire staff and world team on their performance. Um, I, I believe, and I, I have not confirmed this, but I saw it on Twitter. So, you know, if we're going to trust but Twitter. But it's got to be true then. Right. And I believe right, this is his third uh, team championship. And I, they, the stat was he's the only U.S. coach to have three. So yeah. that's uncharted territory, if that's right. And I believe it is. So that's a big I deal, man. I mean, that, that is a big deal. You know, we, we know we're kind of in a, I don't know. I don't know if you call it a golden era of wrestling, but certainly, man, a strong period where the United States is is churning out a lot of very good um, competitors. You know, not only U.S., but we can talk about medalists who train here, um, but compete for other countries. So, just a big congrats to everybody involved with that. Uh, you, know, you know, with that team, that that's a big deal. I can confirm uh, the U.S. has only won five. World championship, uh, world. There championship. you go. So that he's would, that would make it mathematically, yeah, yep. impossible. Yes, for sure. So, um, you know, some of the standout performances, obviously, uh, David Taylor going and winning his fourth world or Olympic title. Very impressive. Yeah, well, and not and not just winning. Like you speak to how dominant he he was. I mean, he left no doubt in in terms of his performance. Yeah, it's wild. I was talking with one of the wrestlers uh, the other day about remembering what he looked like and and as a freshman at Penn State, you know, this little little young looking baby faced wiry kid and now he's you know one of the most dominant wrestlers in the world. It's it's uh it's pretty cool to see that progression over the last decade. No um, doubt. Other other guys that, that made it up there, uh Vito Aruja Another dominant performance, right? Another guy who was not just one, but boy, he put up a lot of points on his way to the title. Um, a question about him. Now he did that in a non-Olympic weight. Is that correct? Yes. How does that how does that play into things in the big picture, seeing as how we're a year out for the Olympics? Um, you know, he's either got to go up or go down, right? Yeah, and I would say, right, like 57 kilos is gonna get get another guy who's pretty tough. You know, when we talk about obviously Zane didn't uh, didn't achieve what he had hoped to, right? Um, but but Vito's going to have to make a decision, and I I think he's going down. I, I don't see him going up personally, so he's probably going to move down to fifty seven. Well, and, and the U.S. we did not qualify either of the we didn't qualify fifty seven or sixty five, correct? Right. So that yeah, makes- I think, um, and I don't remember where Zane was, but I think Lee was around seventh. Yep, Marsteller. When you talk about other weights that wasn't qualified, uh, Marsteller was maybe around 14th, and I just I cannot quite recall where Zane was, you know, in terms of placing. But you're right; he did not qualify the weight yet for the United States. So, and then another title at another non-Olympic weight uh, with uh, Zane Rutherford winning at 70 kilos. And so, yeah, there's some. There's going to be. I feel like the 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 U.S. landscape at some of those weights is going to be really interesting. It, it always is. And, and I go back just, you know, connection wise to people I've coached, right? You think of James Green, right? Who was so dominant and has, and has returned to competing and training here, right? That was a guy who was at that tweener weight. And I just remember the struggle it was for him 
to to leave uh you know uh 70 kilo and go down you know that that's what's tough and, and really disappointing for those guys that they're so dominant at their weight class and then once they get pushed out you know there's they're just not themselves i guess so you hope you know Vito and the rest of these guys can can find weights where you know they're competing for olympic gold um other weights to touch on Kyle Dake with the silver at 74 um uh, Kyle Snyder with a bronze, Zahid Valencia with a bronze, um, all all really solid performances. Uh, obviously, leading leading to another team title for the U.S. So, uh, yeah, you know, red, white, red, white, and blue, proud American. Yeah, flag. Um, I thought that was a big deal. I mean, a couple of things that because I know you just gave the results um, quickly there, but um, really big deal to have Paris. You know, on what. A little bit of short notice, I guess you could say. I mean, he was sure. training and he was clearly ready, but but you know, with Gable bowing out, him him, you know, taking the lead, I thought he he looked great. So kudos to him on qualifying the weight and and, and getting a medal as well. And then uh, Valencia, I, I was interested. I didn't quite know how he'd fit in at that you know uh, higher weight with him not you know making the team, right? With Taylor making the team and him going up to ninety two kilo. I found that interesting that, you know, he, he looked pretty good at the weight. Now he'll go, I'm sure he'll go probably back down to his natural weight and he'll have to go through Taylor and those guys, but uh, kudos to those two, I guess, for, for stepping up and getting medals for the team and playing an instrumental part in the, the, the championship. Absolutely. Um, you alluded to this earlier, but uh, another, you know, there was a big deal made by several media outlets about the fact that we had three different uh, former NCAA wrestlers here in, in the United States that still train here in the United States that earn medals for other countries. Um, you know, Indiana native uh, Stevan Micic um, yep. went and won, uh, won the world championship at 57 kilos. Very, very cool honor for him. Yeah, that, I mean, that was a heck of a run. I mean, when you look at who he had to go through – Boy, that was that was really impressive. You know, it, it was just like the ninety-seven kilo kid uh, Tazadinov beating both Snyder and then Sajalayev on his way to the title. Uh, Twenty years you, old, you could argue, right? Was just as impressive beating Olympic gold and, and world championship guys prior to the finals, for sure. Um, going up the ladder in weight, you had uh, Sebastian Rivera was the runner-up at at sixty-five. And yep. then also uh, Miles Amin uh, took a bronze at 86 uh, to to qualify the weight for for his country and and uh, and get on the medal stand. So um, yeah, I think it definitely speaks to you know the RTC model and it speaks to what the United States has going here. And, uh, and yeah, a lot of depth. Looks really good in the future. Turning out a lot of good quality people, like you said, it speaks to more what's going on. Not not only just college programs and then the RTC stuff. I mean, let's let's be honest; like those college programs are turning those kids kids out as well. So it does. It just speaks to the the quality training opportunities these kids have. And, you know, and another guy who's going to make it, uh, you know, make his way over there, RBY, right? It's going to be wrestling uh, for another country too. And I do know it's disappointing to to um you know usa wrestling and, and we can talk about that too because you know matt ramos is you know is is in a similar you know process like he's really looking um he has uh you know philippines 
you know, citizenship or, you know, has that opportunity, I guess. And so he's evaluating that as well. So it, it does. It just speaks to the depth and, and the training across the United States that you can turn out this many good people. and They're all earning medals on the world stage. I was going to. Uh, yeah, I, that leads me to a question, Coach. What is is there a general consensus feeling within the wrestling community? Is it's not unique to wrestling? You see this in track and field. You see this in, you know, especially in in Olympic cycles. You see it in swimming and diving. You see it in a lot of other sports where you know maybe an opportunity might not necessarily be there for somebody with Team USA, but it is there. You know, it, 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 with another country. What's the general consensus in the wrestling community? Uh, on this sort of practice. Yeah. And again, I don't know if I can give you a quick and easy answer because, you know, I can see you, you can make a case either way, right? You yeah. can tell me, Hey, this is an easier way to make the team and therefore be at world championships and get the experience you need to get those medals. But at the same time, you know, I've also heard, right, like, hey, you know, if you are, uh, you know, certain heritage and you want to represent that, that country because it is important to you or important to your family, I understand both, you know, I can understand both sides of that coin, I guess. And so I would hate to label it just in one way because I, su I suspect it's both, you know, yeah. on some levels or like, hey, one one man might be said, like, you know, man, I feel a special connection. This was my dad's country or my mom's country. And I feel a connection. And that's why I'm, I'm leaning this way where somebody else could say, Hey, you know, let's, let's use a mean, you know, for example, and I'm not saying this is his reason. This right. is just where my head goes. You have David Taylor here. He's a dominant force. You know, he's winning world championships. You know, miles is, you know, is a medalist. He's a world medalist, you know, he not get that opportunity if he's not competing for another country. So, Again, I, I hate it's got to be every man's decision, Corey. So I don't want to label it as just this or that, because I know there's many factors that play into it. Sure. That's fair. I think of a guy, you know, going back to my basketball, I think of a guy like uh, like Giannis, who is one of the best players in the NBA, could easily be, you know, one of the best players on Team USA, if that's how we wanted to go. Mm -hmm. But, you know, is very proud of his Greek heritage and very proud of, of, you know, being from Greece, growing up in Greece, so on and so forth. And so every world championships, every Olympics, he's playing for Greece. He's not playing for team USA. And so, you know, and he's, he's out there playing against a bunch of his, you know, teammates and peers from, from the NBA on the, on the international level. So it's a, uh, yeah, everybody, Everybody has a choice to make in those scenarios, and they and they all make it for different reasons. The flip side of that coin to stay in basketball, you can look at like Kim Olajuwon. He was Nigerian, uh, but naturalized as an American citizen. Joined the Dream Team in the nineties, and and you know, yeah, there's two different ways. Absolutely. Yeah, and to your point, right? It's it's not a new thing. I mean, this is you know, and 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 the really the positive thing here is it speaks to the quality development in our country. Yep. Right. That's the one thing. And again, you know, USA Wrestling would love to keep all their athletes there. I know that for a fact. They want, you know, they don't want anybody walking out the door. But it does speak to hey, there's a lot of really good positive um, things in terms of development across the country for these athletes, and that's a great thing. Well, one thing you're not allowed to bring two lineups. If USA Wrestling could bring two lineups, they they'd get there's, some of these guys. There's no B team, right? <laughs> the red, white, and a blue team. Here we go. Right. <laughs> so, um, 
Corey, should we should we jump to the fun topic? Uh yeah, I think uh, I think I think the the powers that be insist that we must. <laughs> We're gonna try and do a, our own little spin on on Deion Sanders, though. Um, Deion Sanders, obviously, I refuse to call him Coach Prime. So Deion Sanders is taking the uh, unlike the broadcasters on ESPN. We're gonna refer to him as Coach Sanders here. Uh, I like it. Kind of taking the college sports world by storm this fall. It's all of the attention in college football is on Boulder, Colorado right now because of what Dion is doing there and what he's done there and having success. And, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started about what his success there means for college athletics. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic. I mean, we're talking about it today. Um, I know, right, uh, Tanner's drinking the Kool-Aid. I am uh, not. You know, so it made its way to the podcast. <laughs> but honestly, this probably – I mean, it, for us, it was yesterday uh, around lunchtime and coming in, you know, because I, I do think it's a very interesting topic. I do. So hopefully people enjoy this too. It's coaching and, and, uh, and how you build and create culture in your roster and stuff. And then I would just tell you from my standpoint, speaking only for myself, not for you two, I like, um, you know, kind of how he handles things, right? Like his message to his team um, and how he's handled different adversity or different things or different criticisms, right? And so I, I do I, I, I do like those things. I think he does a great job that way. My point to, uh, I think it was Tanner and Jake yesterday as we're sitting around lunch, though, was what scares me, the negative. And, I, and I'm not even saying this is just him. But what it could signal, right? I'm not criticizing Dion here. Um, no, this is applicable. Yeah. To, this is applicable to multiple sports. And yes, it is right. What it signals, like he's flipped this. They have got three wins, and and they'll win more. You know, from a year when they only had one there at Colorado, where, you know, does it give everybody the idea, like, oh, hey, he threw everybody out, took 53 new kids, and that's how you flip things quicker. And these and uh, right, noticeably, coaches are under a lot of pressure, right? You get paid, especially in football, tremendous mm -hmm. money. And we live in this microwave society. I'm just not, you know, I've been in this now for over over 25 years. And, you know, I, I got into this still, right? Like um, college athletics was educational still, right? It's still the kids are getting a degree. Yes, a lot can go pro, but most don't, you know, still want to, uh, a huge percentage won't. So, it was the educational still aspect. We all are trying to win. That's that's our job. But, hey, at the end of the day, you feel good about what you're doing for young men or young women or just young people in general. And so if this becomes something where, hey, a new coach takes a job and you throw over half the kids in your roster out, what does that signal? I'm not comfortable with that. And we've talked a lot on this program about, you know, creating culture you know, and, and trust in, in the environment for your kids. And so that makes me nervous. You know what I mean? And again, I don't think that's a criticism on, you know, uh, him, um, but it's like, what does that signal? And will we see people copycatting that? And my, my, uh, my example to Tanner was, you know, she like the NFL is a copycat league. Something gets hot, you know, uh, sees success and everybody wants to do it. Is that going to trickle down to college? And what does that mean for college athletics that part makes me nervous. And that's where I kind of land on things. Um, I will say, though, right, the, the big thing is, is star receiver. Um, 
is out now with the lacerated liver, the way he came back and responded and, and kind of almost defended the opponent, you know, for Colorado state, I thought was great. It sends a great message to his team, keeps perspective, mm-hmm. you know, on it's still a game, you know, these are young men. So I, I, I thought that was good. So it, it's, you know, for me, he, he goes back and forth where it might be controversial to me to, you know, tell most of your roster to hit the bricks while you build a new team. But clearly he, you know, t- he's got, he's got perspective in the way he handled things this week, I thought. So there's my two cents on, on that topic. I think the two, the two things that I kind of find interesting about the whole thing, and I'll, I'll start with the, I'll start with the good in the fact that I I am impressed by his ability to take 50-some kids from different programs all over the country and make them all believe together that quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he's created a culture where those, those young men have all bought into what he's doing. And, yep. you know, his staff, his execution, his play calling, you know, whatever it is, like he has people on board. He got a bunch of different people from different backgrounds and different situations from all over to come in and all buy in right away. And I mm-hmm. think that has to say a lot about him as a coach and a motivator and and, so and a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's a lot. I think it says a lot about him. It's fascinating. I think it's beyond fascinating. And uh, and he was once an Atlanta Brave, so I do have an affinity for him <laughs> in that sense. Um, no love lost for the Falcons or Florida State or anywhere else he was. But uh, did love him when he was a Brave. Um, on the flip side, I do, I do have a lot of cause for concern in the way that – and I don't know, so I don't know if this is Coach Sanders doing this or if this is the media doing this, but it's just an absolute circus. Like it's it's reality television, you know, at this point. <laughs> and it's in some senses it's working, right? Like that Colorado, Colorado State game drew record numbers. Oh gosh. It was a top four ever, maybe, or something like something that. Something like that. It yeah. Nuts. And, and it didn't end until 2 a.m. Eastern. And a year, and a year ago. I bet 10 people watched that game. I don't even know if it was televised a year ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's incredible to see the effect it's having. But at the same time, like, is that good for college sports? Is the whole dramatic reality TV under a microscope for everything, you know, I mean, God, people are buying his sunglasses in bulk right now. You know, I think I think they they're well, marketing them and selling them for like seventy bucks. So you can yeah. be like you can be like Coach Prime, and and think like when you say it's like reality TV too, like the, the opposing player got death threats yeah. for a hit that I, we can debate the hit and that's fine. But you know what? Um, every rivalry game there is suspect hits. You know what? Dirty plays yeah. with every cheap shots. However you want to say it. That's not new, and it happened several times last week too. Besides just Colorado State, but because of the times across the country, this young man now is is got death threats, which is crazy. And again, it's like that's why I appreciated what he came back with and gave perspective on it, right? You, 
things are getting a little too crazy sometimes, people. They're not professional athletes. Some of them get paid that way. We know what NIL is, so I get there's that aspect. But let's keep it in perspective. And I think that goes, at least for me, resonates with when you're talking about it. It's, it's like reality TV almost. It's almost a circus sometimes. Not, there's nothing almost about it. <laughs> they, got, they got dancing bears. I'm sure of it. I think what's interesting about about what you both said here is, uh, Tanner, I think you make a great point. Is it good for college football? I, I don't know. It's probably good for Colorado right now, Colorado Buffalo football right now. This week um, it is. But what we saw with the genuine overreaction to the, the Travis Hunter hit was these are not football people who are – you know, weighing in, oh, he needs to be suspended. He needs to be, his career should be able to, no, you don't understand what you're looking at. This happens a dozen times around the country. We used to celebrate it, you know, uh, during <clears throat> this less enlightened time in college sports. We celebrated big shot, you know, kill shot is what they were called hits. And, and you know, thankfully we're not doing that anymore, but it's not brand new. This is not a career ender and to me you know Dion coming out this week and doing that is the best thing he's done since he's been coached there because hopefully it diffused a bunch of the people who didn't know what they were talking about and shouldn't have probably weighed in um the other thing I think is interesting that you talked about Tony is you know you bring together that many transfers you bring together you're trying to import your culture um what we're seeing right now with Colorado is what happens when it works, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to not work a lot more often than it works, I think. And, yep. and we're going to see teams implode. It, it, everything's not going to be LSU women's basketball where they bring together a bunch of people and go win a national title. It's yep. going to not work a lot more often than it works, and, and that's where it feels like we're going is, you know, in college athletics in general. Yeah, right, and – um Again, that's where people, like I said, it's, it's copycat just for the sake of copycat. Like where you say, hey, Dion can do this because of who he is. Right. You know what I mean? Like he has a, not everybody's him, you know, with, with what he's done in his life and how he can kind of manage that, you know, circus or whatever you want to say. He can manage it. He has that ability. Not everybody can. And like you said, for some people, it's going to be a powder keg and mm-hmm. it's going to blow up in your face. And that's, and that's too bad because then you'll have had um, huge turnover in your, your program for nothing gained, right? Like you'll have kids will have lost opportunities for what, you know, and then that, and that would be the disappointing thing to me. And that's all I care about. Like, I don't even know that I'm saying, Hey, you know, I'm against, you know, Dion on this. It's like, my man is charged. He's getting paid a lot of money to flip this as quick as he can. So he's doing this out of necessity, but, do I wish that wasn't the way it is? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's yeah. not where I started from with this journey 25 years ago. I think there's also the perspective that this is something everybody needs to remember at all times when watching any sport, college, pro, whatever. You could fit the amount of things we don't know about what's going on in that program and behind closed doors in the Pacific Ocean. For sure. Yep. Like it, you could, you could fill up the grand Canyon with that kind of information. Like it's, there is, you know, what we are made privy to is just a fraction of what's actually going on in that program and, and 
around that program on a daily basis. Yeah, here we are talking about it because you're drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Sorry. Had to be said. Major I, <laughs> You know, I, I thought I thought I just facilitated the discussion of some really cool topics in college sports. And you know, I feel like I need to put on the Kool-Aid outfit and bust through a wall. Yeah. Listen, I'm fascinated because like Corey's even mentioned, I, I'm fascinated to see where this goes. Mm -hmm. You know, how does it really blow up and to what extent and how, you know, what's this look like in the future? It's like, we're all saying about NIL, you know, we're all saying, Hey, this is not great in a lot of instances, but now you're going to wait and see where does it go? You know, how, how many donors get upset because they paid, you know, you know, crazy money and didn't get what they thought they were going to get or an athlete, you know, was told something and didn't get that. What was promised? Like, there's going to be things and situations that happen and all you can do is sit back and see how this is going to shape the future of college athletics. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, that is enough. Deion Sanders <laughs> for me anyway. Um, yep. I think, you know, coach, we probably want to do a, we probably want to do a few thank yous here before we, before we wrap things up. I know you, you had some people you wanted to talk about and thank, and so I'll, I'll turn that to you. Yeah. So we we had our uh, our annual golf outing uh, Sunday this past Sunday, and just a, a big shout out to a lot of people. Record numbers in a lot of places, not only in sponsors, donations, and gifts um, from that standpoint, but also uh, in terms of number of golfers. And the weather held up. Uh, it didn't rain on us till the very end of the day. And, and by then, just we a little bit. To, to waltz yeah you got rained on a little bit um you know we all had retreated to waltz uh, by then for hors d'oeuvres and drinks and and i just seemed like it was a great day you know good time had by all and i want to thank everyone for making that such a, a positive day both in terms of funds raised which help us greatly to just good times with you know the people we had they had a lot of young alums too out coming back for the first time so uh, i really enjoyed it and just thankful that uh you know, it was a, as a, as a real positive overall. And Tanner, I'll even give you uh, props what your team was runner up, right? Was that runner up? Yes, we were so we tied for second. Silver medal, uh, or as his team did. Uh, yeah, we didn't take well. we didn't take a ton of my shots. We're going to be perfectly honest. His team, despite him. Despite. They, they yep, we'll let him be modest, and that's fine. But the reality is his team did, in fact, take home the silver medal. Absolutely. And, uh, and Tony got to see me hit arguably the best drive of my life so yeah he, he ain't lying Corey. that i'm telling you buddy it was i'll never do it again on ackerman and man it was i mean it had a bit of a fade but the, it was a dog leg to the right so you needed a bit and he hit it a country mile down there with a bit of a fade on it it was it was really impressive nice and then i proceeded to watch all three members of my team hit it past me and that is true as well Who are you playing with <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. That's why they were. That's why they were runner up. Right. <laughs> it was unreal. I hit the drive of my life, and then proceeded to watch three dudes put it right past. It was an unbelievable grouping out there on the fairway. I walked away impressed. That's cool. Well, good. It's so cool to to keep those young alums connected. You know, like you said, uh, it so much of success is is based on culture. And to be able to build that culture beyond your days as a as an active boilermaker is is huge. So 
So uh, cheers to you all for, for making that happen and having a great event. Yep, it was awesome. Good deal. Hey, guys, uh, we wanted to get into the recruiting process. We wanted to get into some other things. We're going to push those off uh, because I, I think we got a full boat here. Um, great discussion. A lot of fun as always. And uh, we'll, we'll see what we come up with next week here on the Always Aggressive Podcast.